1: Hi and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and twenty seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Wednesday, April twenty seventh, twenty twenty-two. This is episode number 267. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis' Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 30,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you. So please leave us a review. Today we're talking about a survey on getting high at work Doordash picking up on cannabis delivery. Ohio is picking up le- legalization language authored by advocates. How hemp is being used to make prosthetic limbs. Connecticut is cracking down on out-of-state advertising. Texas activists have enough signatures to put decrim on a local ballot, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse
2: language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised.
1: Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lameet. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as a co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's your headline today, Rico?
3: Oh, Mine is coming from... Just north of the border, up in Toronto, Canada, DoorDash is offering cannabis pickup services, according to the uh, the Daily Grit. So the the Daily Grit's Peter Page says Canadian stoners no longer need to order wear, uh, no need to order weed and munchies separately because DoorDash, one of North America's biggest on-demand delivery platforms, just signed a first-of-its-kind deal with cannabis retailer Superette to provide pickup and delivery in Toronto. Superettes known for their immersive retail shopping experience and brightly colored supermarket style dispensaries littered throughout the province. Uh, the group plans on taking similar approach with the DoorDash partnership. Both companies recognize growing customer expectations to access top quality product and more, in a more efficient manner and believe transferring Superettes in-store shopping experience onto DoorDash's app is the solution. The six is needed. All along, per the article, consumers will now have access to curated menus and special collections reflecting the best of uh, the locale in which each state is based. Well, I couldn't tell you what Toronto's best of locale looked, smelled or felt like, but I couldn't imagine it passing Jason Beck's booth test. Closing the article out, it says Super S embodies DoorDash's mission to grow and empower local uh, communities and partners with local restaurants and food banks, as well as sourcing from sustainable vendors. Hmm. At first glance, you might see this as a positive thing, but it's the same mission statement DoorDash has failed to deliver here in the U.S. A quick Google search will provide you with a laundry list of consistently ranked one-star companies and one-star company customer complaints, four of the top six complaints Missing items in wrong order, dashers stealing food, wrong address, unauthorized charges would be a complete compliance nightmare in our industry. Then it's the workers or as they call themselves dashers constantly complaining of being dropped by restaurants uh, or uh, for moving too slow or not having enough five-star reviews from customers, which they have no control over. Uh, Also miscategorized as contractors instead of employees in most states. Californians may remember uh, 2020's AB5 effort by Uber, uh, DoorDash, and many other similar companies where they spent a record $309 million lobbying and another $4 million advertising to make voters believe benefits are bad and making less than $10 an hour is actually good when when you account for flexible hours. Spoiler alert, the cash drop worked, and they are still contractors here in California. But um, what about the local community partners, the restaurants and stores they claim to help out? DoorDash allegedly doesn't uh, uh, always get permission to work with them, and the ones who do claim they have no other choice as they fork over fees as high as 30% for that privilege. Sounds like a cartel to me. Uh, the Fair Food Delivery Act addressed some of those issues here in Golden State, but no federal actions have been taken to protect others. Uh, but as I always say... Follow the money. In this case, data is what's at play. SuperEtte will have access now to the large customer base DoorDash has in the Toronto metro area, and it's only going to grow. Uh, DoorDash will also have access to highly coveted cannabis delivery logistics. Remember, y'all, data is the currency of tomorrow, and DoorDash is about to clean up. Expect more apps and platforms like DoorDash to do the same thing, and they are hovering around America as the smaller players. Drop out one by one. This is Rico Lameet, the dopest dad on the street, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I'd like to hear what the rest of the team has to say about this.
1: This is big news, right? I mean, it's, huge. it's a pretty big deal. It's huge.
0: I mean, I mean, so are, are these going to be uh, delivered in booth carts because that's all Canadian weed?
1: I... The the one review where there's missing food, what, what's going to be missing when they start delivering cannabis? And the, the ticket is going to go way up, right? I wonder what the average ticket is, is for DoorDash right now.
0: Is DoorDash actually processing the sale, or how is this actually working um, lo- logistically? Because I know with the Canadian LPs, they, they're the ones that have to process the transaction.
3: Um, I would think it would... It would end up on DoorDash's uh, plate because um, I know that they, when they're using Shopify up there to, to process a lot of online orders, the liability is with Shopify and it's not with the individual um, um, uh, dispensaries that work
4: with them. I, w- I wonder, like, I, I appreciate convenience, and then some, but convenience is never free. And I think that's where the consumer needs to listen up. Yes, it might be cool to have DoorDash do everything, but is it really necessary? And to your point, Rico, having a behemoth, one that's not in our industry, start to aggregate all our data. Like, I think we've been down this road before and lately all my activism is about consumer awareness because we're not gonna change DoorDash. What we can change is those people who educate the people so they vote better with their dollar. It's a heavier lift, but I think it's really the only way we affect change totally right about that
3: gee 100% Okay. people need to just think about the trade off that you're doing there you're going to be killing all the small operators you're going to be killing off a lot of the, the mid-size operators too and um, is it really worth you getting your product 10 15 minutes quicker that you uh, you are sacrificing the uh, the ability to have quality uh um a control efforts there and you're also uh just killing off your uh, your local entrepreneurs are you advocating for men's Rico? Never that, you know. You know me better than that. Fuck.
1: No, no. It, it seems like something that would never happen in the U.S.
0: What, Susan? <laughs> never say never because Do you think Amazon it was? is backing federal legalization, so just watch and see what happens here. Correction,
4: Jason. Okay. Amazon is backing the Republican effort, and
3: so is Charles Koch.
4: Yeah. I think it will happen here as mergers and acquisitions continue. We will get purchased. Our smaller delivery services, let's say a grass door, will get purchased by somebody. But again, it comes down to us. And I think what's lost in a lot of folks that are enjoying all this free access we have is that we're still very much in a fight. It should not be as easy. If it's too easy to get your weed, maybe something is wrong, right? We're still in a fight against the feds. We're still trying to establish our our, our industry. So again, that consumer base needs to know when you see things being made easier for you, there is a cost, and it could be the cultural history of our of our industry, or it could be you're about to get boof weed forever from uh, Philip. Morris. Does
1: DoorDash deliver alcohol? Yes. So how yes. how do we how do we uh, justify you know there could be food alcohol and weed in the in the car
0: sounds like a party to me Susan. <laughs> <laughs> you, can track, you, can, you can track all
3: those dashers too
5: shrooms next so you, know,
3: you can track them sounds like a hit waiting to happen
1: Wowza. Okay. Big, big news. Um, let's keep smoking the news. Next up is co-producer Jason Beck. His provocative spin keeps the show popping. He has proven to be one of the most resilient players in the weed game since starting his first store in San Francisco. Rated by the DEA multiple times and surviving the drama of the past few decades, he is legitimately the longest continuous cannabis retailer in the United States. What's your headline today, Jason?
0: Oh, yeah. Good morning, Susan. Hope everyone is having a fantastic Wednesday today. Today, my story comes out of Michigan, where Milan leaders, not Melania, but Milan leaders move to allow marijuana sales targeting ohio traffic headed to ann arbor that's right drivers crossing into michigan on us 23 are bombarded with billboards urging them to sample the state's booming marijuana industry but their options are limited until they reach ann arbor and yep it's y-p-s-i-l-a-n-t-i so i'm just going to call it the city of y that that could soon change as elected leaders in the small t- city of Milan, on the border of Madisheu and Monroe counties, look to get in the action. On Monday, April twenty fifth, Milan City Council voted unanimously to authorize the drafting of local rules allowing adult use ca- and cannabis medical cannabis sales. Every community is obviously looking for revenue generators, said Council Member Jesse Nye, who sits on a subcommittee that has been exploring the topic for weeks. You're constantly trying to find out how we can add to the community, he said. Milan is well-positioned to reap the benefits of taxes on cannabis sales located right off the highway and a short drive from Ohio, where adult-use cannabis isn't legal yet. The industry recognizes prime real estate, according to Nye, who said the city has received regular calls from cannabis business people looking to locate within its boundaries. A majority of Melania voters voted to legalize marijuana when the state statewide ballot initiative doing so passed in 2018, Nye said, but the city opted... For a deliberate approach to embracing the industry and didn't immediately open its doors to the businesses. It's not something that everyone just wanted to, I think, cautiously dip our toes in the water, Nye said. With a new mayor and several council members elected last year, city leaders formed a subcommittee to explore what opening the city marijuana businesses could look like. The group included city leaders and business owners, consulted with attorneys, touted marijuana businesses, and sought to learn as much as they could. Good, bad, or ugly, Let's just gather all the information when possible. We can," Nye said, describing the group's approach. The council member dialed uh, dialed twenty city mayors and administrators across Michigan. He said, trying to gather information on the successes and failures of other municipalities in regulating the industry. The feedback he heard was overwhelmingly positive, he added. It's no surprise with millions of tax revenue following to jurisdictions have allowed for marijuana businesses. This year, Wichita County will collect 1.8 million and Arbor will collect 1.4 million, number one and number two in Michigan, based on the formulation that doles out funds based on the number of licensed marijuana businesses within a jurisdiction. The Milan Marijuana Subcommittee's recommendation for the city to cap the number of local cannabis licenses at 18, split evenly down the line between adult use and medical cannabis businesses. Well, guess what, Ohio? Pretty soon you might be able to just drive across the border and buy a real eighth instead of having to buy a tenth. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis NewsHour.
3: Um, Jason, I don't think anybody's ever considered Melania. And uh, leadership in the <laughs> Senate, ever before you did today.
0: She's a whole, so congratulations whole town. Congratulations on that She's a whole birth. town now. She's a whole town
3: now. I hope they uh, they, they craft a, um, a statue of her like they did in her hometown.
6: Be best, now Rico. Be best. <laughs> <laughs> it was her birthday yesterday. Shouldn't we all sing Melania, Happy Birthday? Because uh, Donald didn't sing to her.
0: Oh, we totally, we totally should sing her a song. I've
7: traveled through she Milan she she many she she times in between Cleveland and Ann Arbor. And it would be a blessing to that area if there was a lot of cannabis retail. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Michigan, man. And the city of Y is Ypsilanti. Um and there's been plenty of great marijuana in Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti for a long time.
3: Shout out to sticky Ipsy, my homeboy Chris Jackson out there from the NCIA. You said Ypsilanti? Ipsy.
6: Ips Ipsilanti. Oh, it's Ypsilanti. The Y sounds like an I.
1: Shall we keep smoke in the news?
3: I think we shall. Our next correspondent is working hard to expand safe access, protect religious freedoms, and promote social justice in cannabis, psychedelics, and tax laws. You know who it is. She always stays lit. Man, Victoria Littman, what you got for us today?
5: Thanks for that intro. Um, and I'm happy to be back after a few weeks. School is, is killing me these days, but I'm really happy today to bring a story about social equity. Um, and I'm pulling in two headlines, both from MSN. The first reads, officials say quest for cannabis sales equity in New Jersey is a top priority. The article, of course, discusses the many applications New Jersey received, over 700 for the extremely limited licensing model, and that despite the state's promises of the 12 dispensaries currently licensed in Jersey to sell recreationally, which were able to go live last week, none of those are minority-owned. About half of the 102 conditional licenses have been issued to Black-owned businesses, and the state has yet to release how many of those are owned by people with prior pot convictions. Jeff Brown, executive director of the New Jersey Cannabis Regulatory Commission, of course, had only good things to say. This is only the beginning of a multi-year project to get this market where it needs to be, and it will be reflective of the diversity of this great state, he said. They say one thing and do another, and nobody is being held accountable for it, El Amin, an entrepreneur who is charged with marijuana possession in New Jersey and was denied a legal license, said. But El Amin said she plans to apply again for a dispensary license. What would you want to see the state doing now to make their promises a reality, she was asked. The application in itself is a lot of work, a lot of work and a lot of money. And if you don't necessarily know how to do that, but you know about marijuana, where's the help for those people, she said. Where's the programs to help people make those connections and get in those doors to be able to get in the business? Access to capital, technical assistance, prioritizing people to make sure that their applications are at the top of the pile. These are all necessary to help these applicants succeed. The other headline also from MSN comes from Denver, where 10 years after legalization, they finally had the first social equity-owned dispensary open, opened by Dan Morgan, a white-presenting individual. This was very, very difficult, and even with 10, 12 years of industry experience, you know, it was still an arduous program. So I think people without this experience would have a lot of trouble getting through this process, so I'm dedicated to helping them he said. So I wanted to bring these headlines today because I'm getting really sick of false promises and sick of settling for an idea of social equity that is really just setting up people to fail or struggle severely. Rico has been talking about this idea of predatory gifting since the beginning of the show. And as I've been researching arguments being made about the Dormant Commerce Clause, trying to collect information about how social equity has played out, I really have been seeing what he's talking about. The percentage of social equity licenses that have been realized are tiny as compared to the number of people who've been sold a false promise and have been hurt financially and personally as a result. I know that there are good advocates out there pushing for more social equity, but after seeing what's happening in New Jersey and New York with these so-called social equity measures that leave out the legacy market or let a limited and white-owned market start sales at the expense of patients, I'm skeptical that any attempt at what is being called social equity is more than just lip service. When financial interests are saying we need to suspend the Constitution to protect social equity, I don't believe them. To me, social equity means making it easy for people to get into the legal market, period. Even if that looks like a bill we disagree with because it doesn't say social equity on it. It means not looking at the first social equity dispensary in Denver after 10 years of legalization as a success, but as a massive failure. It means someone like Ella Amin from the New Jersey story can just go buy a license and be free to fail on her own merits and abilities and not fail because she's being set up to fail. Because the costs of entering the market are so astronomically high. I appreciate this opportunity to talk about something I'm researching and writing. To me, thinking about what real social equity could look like in cannabis is always breaking news. I want to believe that advocating for more social equity in legislation is better, but when it just contributes to arguments about why we need to protect limited licenses and it sets up the people most harmed to fail, I think we're better off with legislation that makes it easier for everyone to enter the market. But I'm also here to learn and listen, and if anyone wants to tell me or show me an example of social equity at its best, I want to see it. So I'd love to hear from my fellow correspondents or anyone listening. Do you think it's still worth advocating for social equity? Do you think this is just, you know, lip service all day? Because that's how I see it. So I'm Victoria Livin with the State of Cannabis News Hour and uh, super disappointed that this is my story. I wish it was different. <laughs>
3: um, yep. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, oh, it's, it's a fucked up situation, Victoria. I'm glad you um, uh, you are covering the story. And it's sad that we continue to to be beaten the same drum beat like uh, all over the nation and the problem with everything is we we chose to legalize um in the states that legalized first like it's capitalism people want money first and um anything less at this point than reparations is, is just a bunch of bullshit, lip service as you said and um I love and agree with the philosophy behind social equity, but it's, it's just not working um, from state to state, municipality, municipality. There are some people who got through and I applaud them and I, and I hope that nobody drops out if you've been in it this long. Um, but it's just a bad deal on both ends. And um, until there's some kind of federal uh, mandate for it, it's just not going to happen. I I, won't, I don't believe it.
4: Yeah, I I agree with that. And, you know, as a business person, what I realized is when we want to do social equity in earnest, it comes down to the qualifications of the applicant. There's being set up for failure and then also not having the tools. And that now becomes a thing about that person's community and education and how we essentially educate those who have been challenged. And so even when we talk about reparations, how does that roll out? honestly what's I think the biggest disparity in our communities is that educational factor even being in DC and wa- observing the different school bus trips and the different color blocks of the people on those school trips and how they were appointed says a lot right I think that we need to unfortunately we can't do this instantly and so while the campus industry now is burgeoning this is a problem 200 plus years in the making maybe more and it's going to take that much time to fix so instead of trying to focus on grown adults and giving them a leg up we need to put a lot of money in kids so that this next wave of folks who might be marginalized are actually educated and qualified for those jobs that might be set aside for them because right now we're setting aside jobs for social equity and even if i wanted to sometimes It's a hard call for a business to want to hire the applicant that just doesn't have the historical track record as his counterpart, white, black, or otherwise, right? So this educational thing is something we can't step over, and we can't think social equity is just going to be a bullet. It's something we do every single day. And to Rico's point, it's got to be from the Fed down as a nation.
8: Good morning, everybody. I agree with everything that you all have said. And Victoria, I share in your disappointment. And I I feel like whenever a state goes legal, number one, automatically prisoners should be released who are in prison, number one. Number two, there should be teeth in these social equity bills that make sure that they get implemented. And number three, and probably more importantly, I think people like Guy and other folks who have a track record of being community minded should be given a break on their taxes to help mentor some of these social equity applicants to to help them to, to help them to achieve. I'm Dr. Felicia, I'm done speaking. We've Dr. Got quite Felicia, a few...
0: I'm, I'm so happy to hear you advocating for a tax break. I'm 100% with everything you just said.
1: We've got quite a few audience members wanting to weigh in. Let's go Sunra, Jose, and then B.
0: Uh, greetings, everyone, and happy
7: Wednesday. Uh, you're speaking to the ghost of social equity, and I'd like to say it was a great talking point that they made, but it doesn't exist, and we as the industry... This is my personal opinion. If we don't get together and show examples of what the fuck needs to happen, then it doesn't happen.
0: Peace. We need to also, too, remember to call social equity exactly what it is, socialist equity.
1: Hey, did you want to weigh in? Yeah,
3: I just wanted to share that there's a saying that says um, philosophical, philosophical purity without a material analysis is functionally useless. And I say that because, we're, like I said, we're, we're going to be the ones to solve our own problems. I'm glad Dr. Felicia brought up mentorship because we're going to need mentors on every part of the value chain. I mean, from mentorship to product to legislation to, or if you're like on the research side like me, I mean, every part of the value chain because it's so it's not. It's not happening, and it's not going to happen unless it's us. There's no material analysis so we get to the world that we want to be in. We have to operate in the world that we
4: are in. Yeah. Thank you, you know, so much, B. And you know, Doctor Felicia, I I really like your idea of mentorship, and it's so funny because back when it came up, that it, we weren't incentivized, but. I am community minded and I think we just need to take the incentive and lead, and I think I want to try a pilot program like that, quantify the cost and be able to put it to the state and say, hey, if there are socially equity applicants, this is what it costs me as a business to kind of mentor them, get them up to speed and then make them a real employee. So if you want to split their rate with me for a year while I get them up to speed, get them educated, get their math skills back up, and then they become functional and matriculate into my company, I'll then take them on payroll, something like that. Maybe it is on industry leaders to create a model to show how we could do it, and then get the subsidy. So I, I thank you for that. Key, isn't isn't I,
0: that uh, a similar model to similar to uh, what Oakland did with their incubation process?
4: Yeah, but I, I believe the incubate process—it was like you're a business in my business, and I'm incubating your business. And we tried that in Los Angeles, and that's fraught with danger. Like, you know, it's like, I'm either running a business or you're running the business. I You can't run a business in my business with mentorship. You can be an employee that learns a new skill and shadows a VP and then becomes a VP or something. Uh, yeah, it had issues, but yeah, I'm not sure about the Oakland uh, model, but in, in LA, when they tried to do that, it was about trying to incubate a whole business under your license, and that was very difficult. We did look at that. Yeah, part. no, that,
0: that, was, that was the exact same thing that Oakland did.
5: I would just say, I appreciate everyone's perspective, especially the tax ideas I think are really important and good. I would just say from the federal perspective, like I, I think one of the points I didn't make in my story, but it's like, if the state governments are going to say social equity and then not do it, why would the federal government be any different? Like why would a bill at the federal level that says we're going to put all this money to help social equity? We're going to get like, if it only contributes to a more limited licensing and more overvaluing of licenses, when what we really need is like interstate commerce and e. Gear, and this is my opinion. Um, and so I, I just think that is one of the things, like, if the bill doesn't say social equity on it, can we think about, like, what it actually does? And I like that, like, philosoph- philosophical purity without material analysis uh, point. So just thanks for the conversation, and it'll be an ongoing one, unfortunately <laughs> or fortunately.
0: Yeah, I don't think anyone should hold their breath hoping for the federal government to do anything on social equity. Mm-hmm.
6: And but. Victoria I think that was a great story you did and, and also gee uh, just keep let's all keep in mind you know there's a, there's a huge value in the in the our our competence or our ability in storytelling and trying to uh, compel and make progress so just like I think Victoria just showed us all just keep that in mind uh, that the storytelling power is uh, is something that can really uh, help make breakthroughs
0: Amen all right. Coming up next to the stage, this OG veteran and dope dads known and respected by peers as a steadfast defender of the culture. Always first to stand up for the rights of legacy operators. The co-founder and CEO of Papa and Barkley is coming up to the stage next. What do you have this morning for us, Guy?
4: Good morning, Jason. Good morning, Rico and Susan. Good morning, all. Yeah, today coming out of Cannabis Business Times, Bill to Prohibit California Municipalities from Banning Medical Cannabis Access Passes Senate. Senator Scott Weiner's Senate Bill 1186 would require all cities and counties to provide medical cannabis access through brick-and-morty dispensary delivery service. Now, a lot of us think that that was happening, but after Proposition 64, a lot of these places were shut down, and 62%, 62% of the state cities banning all sales, including medical, according to the press release from Wiener's office. SB86 would demand that they... uh, at least have some medical access. So Senate Bill 1186, introduced in February by Senator Scott Weiner, Democrat, San Francisco, passed the Senate's, Senate's Governance and Finance Committee on April 20th on a four-to-one vote, according to the press release. So this would effectively say that while Prop 64 didn't address uh, whether or not you had to have medical or not, it reinforces. Uh, 1980, 1996's is two fifteen, and says that you have to provide medical access now. So, in the sixty-two percent of cities that ban uh, sixty-four adult-use dispensaries, now collective bargaining can come back because if you guys remember, two fifteen was about a, a bunch of folks getting together and sharing. And so, if you're somewhere in a county in California that has no access you and your other patient friends can get your scripts, grow your six plants, have a brick and mortar dispensary where you bring those six plants to and share with others who might not be able to grow for themselves but ha- but need that medical access. This is a good thing for us because I don't believe that a me- separate medical paradigm is going to actually affect adult use. Here's the problem with it though. As a provider myself it becomes increasingly difficult to have two supply chains. We saw that fail in Denver, and Colorado We saw it fail here. Even if there's a reason, even if they're cohabitated, the likelihood of manufactured goods being made adult use and medical and having two separate metric tags and whatnot will not happen. So products that are for the medical products versus products that are for adult use need separate track and trace as it is now, and that becomes very problematic. So likely what you will have is just local cannabis in these small medicinal retail shops and not some of the good value added goods that have started to come out from manufacturers. So a good idea, Senator Wiener, I think it is good to push and make sure that this 60, again, 62% of California cities that have banned cannabis, it's like, what the F you guys, we're California. And you should see all these other smaller communities around you thriving, get with the program. Um, so at the very least, I think by having this 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 medical bill, it starts to make these communities force them to deal with at least medical and then hopefully realize that cannabis is not the demon devil's lettuce that they think it is and hopefully allow some adult use brick and mortar. Because I don't think medical programs can survive on their own because they won't be supplied by manufacturers, even like myself, even if we wanted to, because it's just too difficult. This is Guy Court reporting for the State of Cannabis NewsHour.
0: Hey, Guy, I think it's important to note that um, as a medical patient, you can cultivate more than six plants. You can cultivate in up to 100 square feet of canopy space. Not to mention that you can also collectively co-op with up to four other patients as well for a maximum of 500 square
4: feet of canopy space under California law.
1: Gee, were you able to speak to Senator Weiner before he put this bill up
4: no i know i i had i had not uh, i i I have not met him and did not see him uh this week in uh, d c
0: Senator is in California sacramento San francisco
1: yeah that's unfortunate he needs to uh hear from you he needs to talk to you it, it, you know i thought I thought that the city's had bans because of the typo and the macursa but they've really dug in and they're just not getting it and to your point gee i mean this is freaking california what the hell I,
0: I will say this though i do think that that it is a step in the right direction of, of forcing municipalities to um enact laws to create storefront. Uh, retails, even if they are only for medical, because we all know, ultimately, they, they can't just succeed as being standalone medical alone. So that will force the municipalities to ultimately have to allow adult use.
4: Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's kind of like what we did back in the day. It's like, you're going to have a dispensary, like it or not. So maybe you want it to be adult use and get more taxes and more volume, but you will have a dispensary. There will be weed signs in your nice community, whether you like it or not. I think that is the point of the bill.
1: Troy, you've got the last word and then we're going to relight the room.
3: This is, I must say, this is awesome bill. Me as a medical patient and medical advocate, this is hugely what I've fought for, what I've that Jackie Ajax about that got her to write in delivery to 64. Everybody forgets 64 didn't have delivery. And nobody was brave enough to speak up at those things where Menaka was and I was. And these are the type of things that are going to get it back to the medical patients. I've been waiting over seven years up in the Vacaville area to, to get cannabis up here. And it's it's a problem. It's an issue. Instead, we had to go to Vallejo or make those trips. And a lot of medical patients, y'all, forget are homebound. They're not
7: able to make it to the dispensary. So delivery is damn sure mandatory and needed in the
9: cultivate in the
1: California cannabis. Thank you for that perspective.
0: Troy, Troy, Troy. You you mentioned uh, uh, Jackie. Uh, Uh, Ajax. uh, No,
1: Lori Ajax.
0: Ajax. Is is that a cross between Lori Ajax and Jackie McGill? That's (laughs) a good one. (laughs) That was a hybrid.
1: I'm
3: I'm going to keep keep my lips zipped on that one. No. That's where I met Jackie for the first time. It was interesting. Jackie Paul Moller.
1: Hey, guys, can I uh, jump in real quick? I just wanted to say, I think in your comment, Jason, like, yeah, patients can grow ideally, but that's definitely not the case for a lot of patients. It has a lot of issues to deal with your housing and where you live and actually the regulations and your town in Santa Barbara City. We can only grow one plant outside. So there's a lot of restrictions, so it's not that simple. And then if you look at places like Colorado, medical patients are losing hardcore. There's a lot of places you can only get tinctures on the medical side. You can't even buy that at a recreational store. And so I just think we should be really careful and make sure that
8: the medical patients are not losing.
0: I can't Uh, believe that
8: I, I haven't been institutionalized.
0: <laughs> Liz, I don't believe that any patients should, should cultivate their their cannabis outside. They should only be growing indoor for a higher quality, higher value.
1: All right, we're going to relight the room. Yeah, but that's not always possible. That's all you know.
0: You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State Campus News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not
3: those of any other speaker, the State of Campus or its members. The statements made in the State of Campus News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Campus and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorship of the State of Campus News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Campus or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Campus or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised.
1: Let's keep smoking the news.
3: Let's do it. Coming straight out of Long Beach, California, our next correspondent does not need to hang out in the metaverse all damn day to feel real time IP protected 420 vibes. Because not only is he the CEO of deliciously vegan edible brand Fruit Slabs, but he's also a cannabis and intellectual property attorney. Protect y'all assets. Coming to the stage, Brandon Dorsky. What you got for us today, my man?
7: Thanks for having me today. Uh, My headline comes from Marijuana Moment. It's Texas activists say they have enough signatures to put marijuana decriminalization on another local ballot. This is coming out of Denton, Texas, where Denton-based activists are confident they have collected the amount of signatures necessary to place marijuana decriminalization on their local ballot. Decriminalization Denton signature collection will continue through May 3rd, despite their belief they've already exceeded the 1,745 ballot signatures needed to land on the ballot. The article actually acknowledges they've collected over 2,500 signatures already, but they have not yet been verified. The Denton petition would require that police not issue citations or make arrests for Class A or Class B misdemeanor possession of marijuana, except in limited circumstances, Uh, This activity in Denton follows Ground Game Texas's successful efforts to get decriminalization measures on an Austin, Texas ballot for next month, where early voting on that has started on Monday. Ground Game is also working on decrim measures in Killeen and Harker Heights, Texas. The Denton proposal, in addition to uh, the decrim measures, would also make it so city funds could not be spent to test for THC concentration to determine if products meet the state's definition of legal hemp. Language like that would really open up a metaphorical trap door. Uh, And the proposal would also prohibit police from using odor as a probable cause for any search or seizure. The city would be required to work with the police department and other local stakeholders on policy change and training. These proposed changes are consistent with Texas Governor Greg Abbott's belief that low-level marijuana possession should not lead to incarceration and other Texas municipality changes designed to reduce arrests for cannabis-related offenses. There is currently no statewide citizen-led initiative in process for the state of Texas, despite there being broad support for reform to legalize marijuana amongst all of Texas's constituents, where 67% of Texas residents support brand reform and, shockingly, 51% of Republicans who say they back legalization. Texas has recently enacted a bill to expand their medical cannabis program and another to permit for study into the therapeutic benefits. Potential of certain psychedelics, but cannabis or marijuana still remains illegal in Texas. A previously proffered decriminalization bill at the state level for cannabis passed the House in 2019, but did not advance in the Senate. There was not much else to report about this article, but it is exciting to see that there is activity on so many local fronts in the state of Texas and that they are having some success in getting these decrim measures passed at the local level. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis.
1: Everyone in Texas is going to move to Denton.
2: I think it's very cool to see folks uh, just finding whatever level of government they can push progress forward, and then just pushing on it.
0: The
7: like
2: the drug pushers, about, like drug pushers, but not the the language
7: that would prohibit local test the using funds to test for the THC concentration. I thought was super interesting since Texas does allow for the sale of smokable hemp flower and D8 flower. And so if they're not allowed to use funds to test any of the flowers they find, it is like a trap
0: market holiday. Yeah, law enforcement definitely can't tell the difference between quality indoor hemp and even decent average weed. Trap holidays are the best.
4: Yeah, I actually met a man in Virginia who had that same exact story. He said the feds came to his property. He had regular, he said the word of the uh, hemp as opposed to just all cannabis, but he had the plants interspersed. Some were good ladies, some were just CBD rich ladies. And he was like, they were overwhelmingly like, oh, this is an amazing farm. And he was like, yeah, it is. And of course, half his product goes to the IC71 program and the other stuff goes to his CBD products.
0: Yeah, narcotics dogs are trained to smell four different terpene profiles, and those are the exact same terpene profiles in weed and hemp. Good job, law enforcement.
1: Free the narc dogs. Yes. Let's keep smoking the news.
0: All right. Coming up next, he's a communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report. Citizens from his home planet call him Clark Kent. While flying high on Earth, he's known to the public as Superman, But we all know his secret identity is Christopher Smith. What you got for us this morning, Christopher?
6: Uh, Good morning, Jason. Thank you so much. And good morning, Susan and Rico. A little more hemp action over here. My story today is from an article in the Denver affiliate of ABC News, with some additional research from about five earlier articles. Um, None of them is terrific uh, on its own, but let's see if we can put them all together and make one good story. Um, Ever since one of the earliest known prostheses, a wooden big toe was discovered on the foot of a 3,000-year-old Egyptian mummy. Prosthetic device technology has evolved to become more comfortable. Durable and sustainable. Now, this may sound like an answer in trivial pursuit, but it's far more important factoid than you might think. There are more than 2 million Americans who have lost an arm or a leg or were born without one of their limbs. Millions more have health issues such as diabetes that could lead to amputation in the future. And don't forget the wounded warriors in our armed forces like Brian Mast, Jason Beck's friend in Congress. And here's another not a war hero, but just an average guy. Mark Dunshee lost his lower left leg in a a dirt bike accident. Now, he's a practical guy who was worried that he might lose his health insurance, so he joined a company that made prosthetics, where he met another guy named Kyle Trivesono, uh, who is a board certified prosthetic technician who's made more than a thousand prosthetic limbs for patients. Now, I got a quick tutorial on prosthetics. They used to be made of wood, but wood would crack and break over time. Metal prosthetics are super heavy, and they don't flex, so they hurt, especially on the legs. And as technology improved, they were made with materials like acrylic resin, carbon fiber, thermoplastics, and fiberglass. And take carbon fiber, for example. Sounds super sexy. Uh, It's originated in aerospace, but Trevisono says everybody hates carbon fiber, you got to wear a suit, a full suit, and full respiration, and still, with all that PPE on, I don't care what ventilation you have, you're still going to be covered in carbon dust, which is extremely dangerous to work with, and really just not comfortable, and it's not good for users either. For example, if the prosthetic is not finished with rubberized material at the top, it can cause itching, and if you drop it, it's probably going to crack and start to delaminate, which means it's going to splinter, and you can't even put it back on. So Trivisono is an innovator and he asked Dunchy if he would be interested in trying a prosthetic leg made of hemp. The theory was that because hemp is more flexible, but just as durable as carbon fiber, it can be more comfortable for amputees over time. In fact, it's even better than just as durable. According to Trivisono, hemp is 10 times stronger than carbon when it's properly laminated. It's also far more supple and therefore resistant to cracking and the natural fiber is lighter and less corrosive than f- carbon or f- and fiberglass. And Dunchy agreed, and his hemp leg works so well that usually hemp uh, prosthetics are replaced every year. He's, uh, he's on one, still on one for now four years, and he's also run a half Ironman triathlon and two marathons with his hemp prosthetic. So Trivis and his business partner, a guy named Sam Spolita, started a company called Human Plant Solutions. They recently located to a small town near Wichita, Kansas. Uh, The company and its products were incubated by a Coke company, Grant, and have been given six months free rent to get up and running. One problem, though, where U.S. farmers were once required by law to grow hemp, the company now has to import the long-fiber hemp from China while they wait for the U.S. hemp industry to return after it was wiped off the map due to the prohibition of marijuana, which is... Of course, the monster mythology used to justify the greatest incident of industrial sabotage in American history. Ah, And that's another reason why they've located in Kansas. It's right in the middle of the agricultural heart of America where hemp will someday, we hope, be grown as far as the eye can see. And I'm done speaking.
0: I love this story, Christopher. This is exactly what America needs is to bring back this type of innovation around hemp and create Uh, actual real products with hemp, and it will totally um, really revitalize the whole hemp industry and and make it so these farmers don't have to just grow for dumbass CBD isolates.
8: And it would help with we could use the hemp for packaging these cannabis and hemp products to cut down on some of this plastic.
0: Without a doubt.
8: Hemp There's
0: There's so many, so many. I could go on for days and days and days on all the different... Types of uses that we could bring into the market and really bring back um, and revitalize the, the whole American infrastructure system around hemp. Like this, this is a must and it has to be done. It should have been part
1: of Joe video, Biden's infrastructure like the, bill. In my lifetime, please, uh, but we need to keep smoking the news.
3: Hemp the world. Up next, she's a pot loving PhD and an alternative activist, a real life champion of common sense cannabis policy. Coming to the stage next. Medica Mahajan, what you got for us today, Medica?
2: Good morning, everyone. Thank you very much, Rico. Today I'm talking about legalization in Ohio, and I'm sharing information reported by at the Center Square Marijuana Moment, and a few other sources. On 420, two Ohio lo- lawmakers introduced advocate authored legislation to legalize cannabis in the state. The bill's introduction comes after advocates with the Coalition to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol successfully triggered the state's initiated statute process. The coalition submitted 207,000 signatures with the petition language on January 28th. That started a four month clock as outlined by the Ohio Constitution for the General Assembly, Ohio's bicameral legislature, to act and pass the language. If the legislature fails to do so by May 28th, the coalition will have the option to collect another 133,000 or so signatures for the proposal to go directly to voters in November. The two lawmakers are Representative Casey Weinstein and Terrence Upchurch, Democrats from Hudson and Cleveland. And they tried to legalize through the legislature last year with House, B- House Bill 382, but that's stalled. And the Senate President, Republican Matt Huffman, has said that he's not going to bring it to the Senate floor and quote, if that means people want to go put it on the ballot, have at it. So here's what the coalition is proposing. Adults 21 and older would be allowed to buy and possess up to 2.5 ounces of cannabis and 15 grams of concentrates. Adults could grow six plants per person, up to 12 per household. Regulators are required to study and fund criminal justice reform initiatives, including expungements, but advocates have warned about the lack of specific language on automatic expungements. Establishes a Division of Cannabis Control under the Ohio Department of Commerce. And the proposal also ensures local control. Cities could opt out of allowing new adult use cannabis companies, but current medical businesses could secure adult use licenses within nine months of enactment. There would be a 10% tax on sales, and revenues are set aside for things like administrative costs, addiction treatment, and a social equity and jobs program. Regulators would enter an addiction services agreement that involves education and treatment for addiction related to controlled substances, including opioids. Ohio had tried this in 2015 with an initiated constitutional amendment that would have allowed limited sales and use, creating 10 facilities with exclusive commercial growing rights, but that was defeated by voters 63.65% to 36.35%. And an Emerson College survey from Q1 of this year found that a slim majority of voters support adult use legalization, 50.4% support, 39.7% are opposed, and 10% are undecided. So if that sample is representative, expect this to have a 50-50 chance, or if or perhaps when it goes to the ballot in six or so months. Ohio is also seeing local reform efforts, as we heard earlier. Seven cities approved ballot measures to decriminalize possession during last November's election, and campaigns are going in several other jurisdictions. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, it's exciting to see people moving legalization forward at local and state levels through a variety of pathways. So, if you're joining us from Ohio, did you sign this petition? Uh, and what's your read on the hunger for legalization in Ohio? I'm Menica Mahajan, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
0: Menica, was there language in this petition that would actually allow people to actually sell ACE instead of being forced to have to purchase tents?
2: Uh, I'm not sure, Jason. The the
1: six plant limit. Whoever came up with that, I wonder if they knew that everybody was going to copy that number, and it just sucks. Six plants is not enough.
9: I agree, but sometimes when you're in a state where you know um, you try to get something in versus nothing at all, that's where your starting point is. But I attended the uh, Cincinnati, uh, the Ohio Marijuana Expo um, earlier in um, April, and let me tell you something, it's just a medical market, but it was full of people and they were like standing in line, wrapped around the corner trying to get their medical card. So there's a lot of activity and a lot of uh, folks are really anxious to get the adult use program kicked into gear. And Ohio is going to be one of those states that we need to be looking at to see how.
0: Well, let keep
1: smoking the news. Well,
0: Roz also, too, don't forget, pretty soon all those Ohio residents will be able to drive over to Melania, Michigan.
1: Someone from
3: Toronto came up with that six number. Just saying, Susan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, well, it's not enough. Six, 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 six.
0: Oh, yeah. Coming up next, she's an attorney at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis, entertainment, and guess what? That's right, psychedelics. Coming to the stage next is the founder of cannabis blog and podcast, Shall We toke? What do you have this morning for us, Shalina?
10: Thanks so much, Jason. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is Connecticut is close to banning billboards near borders. As reported by U.S. News, the House of Representatives in Connecticut voted 98 to 48 to clear a bill that would prevent anyone that does not have a cannabis-related license within Connecticut from advertising cannabis products and any cannabis services within the state. Further, the bill would also not allow illuminated advertisement on billboards or images of the cannabis plant to be displayed between 6 a.m. and 11 p.m p.m. Additionally, advertisements cannot be displayed within 1,500 yards of a school or church. The issue has come up from both Republicans and and Democrats, specifically those who represent border towns. Mike D. um, Agostino, a Democrat representative for Hamden, approached the General Assembly's General Law Committee this year and stated, quote, look, I'm sick of seeing these billboards with cannabis leaves splayed across them within 1,500 yards across from a school or church or whatever. Can't we do something more about that? Quote, Unquote. As such, instead of outright banning cannabis, which would raise huge constitutional issues, Mike states that they have created this legislation by providing reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions. Okay, now from a constitutional law standpoint, if they enact legislation that would outright ban advertising of cannabis, then cannabis organizations that represent those affected by this legislation will likely bring suit to challenge this legislation, likely striking it down completely. Further, if they do enact this legislation, they would be targeting commercial speech because commercial speech involves advertisements of a product or service, which here would be both the advertisement of cannabis products and services on billboards near borders. Second, although not all commercial speech is banned, not all of it is allowed. There is a balancing test that is used to determine if the government's benefits outweighs any burden the legislation may cause as commercial speech is afforded less protections than other types of speech. The burden will be on the government to show that under the intermediate scrutiny test that the legislation is serving an important or substantial government interest, that it is narrowly tailored, and that the enacted statute directly advances the government's important interest. Analyzing it from a legal standpoint, the reps here would likely argue that there it is a substantial important government interest to discourage school age children from smoking, which is commonly known to adversely affect one's health. Secondly, they will likely argue that the law is narrowly tailored because they are only preventing advertisements on billboards along state lines to prevent cross-border retail. As such, since it is only near the border, there are other places they can freely freely advertise. They will further argue that they are only preventing the billboards to be displayed between 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. and and within 1,500 yards of a school or church, leaving room to work around that time and those buffer zones. They will lastly state that because the government's important interest is narrowly tailored, this legislation would directly advance their interest and as such would be held valid. I could argue for and against this all day, but what are your thoughts on this possible ban on billboard cannabis advertising near borders? My name is Shalena, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis NewsHour.
8: Kids are too busy looking at their smart devices to be worrying about billboards. And yes. since, since guns have just become the number one killer of kids uh, replacing auto accidents, this country has its priorities all mixed up completely.
1: Absolutely. They, we need. What about the children? We need to think about how stressed out their parents are. Uh, you know, it, 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 cannabis. You're right, Doctor Felicia. They're not looking at billboards. It is so ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I agree. this This law This law is just stupid. It's really stupid. It's so fucking stupid, and it's a total waste of time and enforcement dollars for the state.
3: They'll just find other ways.
1: Right? Why do politicians? Why? Why do? Why do they focus on this so much? It's ridiculous. But let's let's get to Roger's story before we.
0: They'll just put a billboard in the time. metaverse. They will a sign over there. Digital
1: reality. <laughs> for the kids. There's where the kids are. Let's keep smoking the news.
3: All right, coming out of the great state of Florida. This entrepreneurial boss heads the ultimate lifestyle brand, Black Buddha Cannabis, holding dual titles as founder and CEO of Minorities for Medical Marijuana at the same damn time. Up next,
9: Roz McCarthy. What you got? Hey, I'm bringing this home, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day. So this is coming from Spectrum News 1 in Louisville, Kentucky. And as Bashir clear, clears way for Cannabis Research Center to open. So it's kind of really interesting that this is from the state of Kentucky where there's no medical program, there's no adult use program. However, Governor Andy Bashir cleared the way on Tuesday for a cannabis research center to open as he reviews whether he has the executive authority to single single-handedly legalize medical marijuana in Kentucky. The governor revealed his action on a bill authorizing the research center at the University of Kentucky. The measure won overwhelmingly overwhelming approval from the lawmakers on the final day of this year's legislative session earlier this month. So what do you need to know? He cleared the way with uh, having the Cannabis Research Center open in Kentucky. The measure won overwhelming. A separate bill to legalize medical marijuana passed the state house but died in the Senate this year. And frustrated by the Senate's inaction, Bashir recently instructed his legal team to review potential options to legalize mar- medical marijuana through executive action and create a regulatory framework to make it accessible for certain medical uh, uh, elements. In the final weeks of this year's session, key lawmakers resisting the legalization of medical cannabis pushed for the research center as an alternative it would allow more time to study the effectiveness of marijuana in treating certain ailments. So I won't go on and on and read from here. One thing I just want is interesting is that we still have states who are basically creating this microaggression um, type of, uh, of, of maneuvers in order to legalize cannabis in their state, where their patients are telling them yes, veterans are saying yes, people are saying yes across the board. But to have another research study to identify if medical marijuana is an option and if it's something that can be able to support individuals who are dealing with serious medical conditions, it's just kind of it's just laughable. So um, I'm signing off, Roz McCarthy from the state of cannabis news hour. I'm hoping that CJ might be in the room as well. He's in Kentucky. He can talk about what he's done with this bill and working with the folks in Kentucky, um, but I would love for to hear you guys' uh, feedback. Thanks, guys.
1: I thought it was interesting that he gave, he's trying to give the um, president of the University of Kentucky so much power to be able to appoint everybody. Is that CJ? oh come on come on up we gotta go here we go cj CJ. last word last word for you 20 seconds cj unmike yourself unmute unmute
7: there we go yeah so the uh the governor actually is setting up that advisory board and uh uh, from my understanding i will be included on the advisory board trying to uh, assist the governor Um, In terms of the power that he actually has, he's trying to do an executive order, but we're trying to discuss and trying to find ways in the power that he actually has constitutionally to be able to force the General Assembly to actually move on this topic.
9: CJ's been doing incredible work in Kentucky. We are grateful for you, CJ, and all the hard work and working on the policy side. And thank you, Susan, for bringing this this topic to discussion. People forget about Kentucky. It's the hemp state, but it needs to have a legalized uh, program so that people have access to the medicine.
1: Good news, good news. That was a really good show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show. And to our pin-up girl, Jaja Simone Brown. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there is news in your city-county state or country your addition to our show makes the state of cannabis news hour news you can trust
3: you've been tuned in to the state of cannabis news hour where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday 9 a.m pacific time for the state of cannabis news hour your
0: daily dose
10: bye
0: And don't forget, his name's Marijuana Mitch. He actually legalized cannabis, but no one's figured it out yet.
1: Yeah. Uh huh. Go, Mitch. Okay, Bye. Mitch. Bye.